Greetings, and welcome to the Microsoft Fiscal Year 2021 First Quarter Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question-and-answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Michael Spencer, General Manager, Investor Relations. Thank you. You may begin. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today. On the call with me are Sasha Nadella, Chief Executive Officer, Amy Hood, Chief Financial Officer, Alice Jolla, Chief Accounting Officer, and Keith Oliver, Deputy General Counsel. On the Microsoft Investor Relations website, you can find our earnings press release and financial summary slide deck, which is intended to supplement our prepared remarks during today's call and provides a reconciliation of differences between GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Unless otherwise specified, we will refer to non-GAAP metrics on the call. The non-GAAP financial measures provided should not be considered as a substitute for or superior to the measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with GAAP. They are included as additional clarifying items to aid investors in further understanding the company's quarterly performance in addition to the impact these items and events have on the financial results. All growth comparisons we make on the call today relate to the corresponding period of last year, unless otherwise noted. We also provide growth rates and constant currency when available as a framework for assessing how our underlying business is performed, excluding the effect of foreign currency rate fluctuations. Where growth rates are the same in constant currency, we will refer to growth rate only. We will post our prepared remarks to our website immediately following the call until the complete transcript is available. Today's call is being webcast live and recorded. If you ask a question, it will be included in our live transmission, in the transcript, and in any future use of the recording. You can replay the call and view the transcript on the Microsoft Investor Relations website. During this call, we will be making forward-looking statements, which are predictions, projections, or other statements about future events. These statements are based on current expectations and assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results could materially differ because of factors discussed in today's earnings press release, in the comments made during this conference call, and in the risk factor sections of our Form 10-K, Forms 10-Q, and other reports and filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We do not undertake any duty to update any forward-looking statement. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Sacha. Thank you, Mike. We're off to a strong start in fiscal 2021. Driven by the continued strength of our commercial cloud, which surpassed $15 billion in revenue, up 31% year-over-year. The next decade of economic performance for every business will be defined by the speed of their digital transformation. We are innovating across the full modern tech stack to help customers in every industry improve time to value, increase agility, and reduce costs. Now I'll highlight examples of our momentum and impact, starting with Azure. We're building Azure as the world's computer with more data center regions than any other provider, now 66, including new regions in Austria, Brazil, Greece, and Taiwan. We're expanding our hybrid capabilities so that organizations can seamlessly build, manage, and deploy their applications anywhere. With ARC, customers can extend Azure management and deploy Azure data services on-premise, at the edge, or in multi-cloud environments. With Azure SQL Edge, we are bringing SQL Data Engine to IoT devices for the first time. And with Azure Space, we are partnering with SpaceX and SES to bring Azure Compute to anywhere on the planet. Leading companies in every industry are taking advantage of this distributed computing fabric to address their biggest challenges. In energy, both BP and Shell rely on our cloud to meet sustainability goals. 
In consumer goods, PepsiCo will migrate its mission-critical SAP workloads to Azure. And with Azure for Operators, we are expanding our partnership with companies like AT&T and Telstra, bringing the power of the cloud and the edge to their networks. Just last week, Verizon chose Azure to offer private 5G mobile edge computing to their business customers. When it comes to data, Azure brings together cloud-native, limitless data and unmatched analytics. Nearly 1 million SQL databases have migrated to Azure to date, and we process more than 1.4 trillion customer queries each day. The number of petabyte-scale workloads running on Azure has more than doubled year over year. Azure Synapse redefines cloud analytics by bringing together enterprise data warehousing and big data analytics. With Synapse Link, customers can run real-time analytics over their operational data. They can build advanced AI models using Azure Machine Learning to identify trends and predict outcomes. And with Power BI, anyone in an organization can access these insights and build custom dashboards. From Electrolux, GE Aviation, and Rockwell Automation in manufacturing to Marks and Spencers and Mintra in retail, businesses are choosing Synapse to accelerate time to insight across their organization. We're also leading in AI in its enterprise applications. Azure Cognitive Services make it easier for organizations from Airbus to Volkswagen to build applications that see, hear, speak, search, understand, and accelerate decision-making. We are going further to meet some of our customers' biggest challenges today, introducing new capabilities to understand people's movements in physical space and detect anomalies and metrics. And our partnership with OpenAI brings leading-edge, large-scale AI models such as GPT-3 to Azure. Now to developers. As software developers become critical to value creation in every industry, their productivity is key to business performance. We have the most widely used and loved tool chain to help developers rapidly go from idea to code and code to cloud. With the world's most popular code editing tools, Visual Studio, as well as VS Code, developers are more productive than ever. With GitHub, more than 70% of the Fortune 50 build software together. And with Azure, they have the best-in-class services to build cloud-native apps and modernize existing ones. New code scanning capabilities in GitHub help developers find security vulnerabilities before they reach production. And new integrations between GitHub and Power Apps enables professional developers and domain experts to collaborate. At the past layer, we're innovating to help developers build modern applications. New Azure communication services enables any developer to integrate rich communication APIs into their application using the same infrastructure that powers Teams. With Azure Mixed Reality Services, the entire world is an application canvas. Lockheed Martin, uh, for example, is using Azure Mixed Reality and HoloLens to speed up the development of the Orion spacecraft. Now to Power Platform. More than ever, companies need to empower domain experts to increase the rate of digitization across the enterprise. 
Power Platform is the only low-code, no-code solution that enables anyone in an organization to rapidly create an application, build a virtual agent, automate a workflow, or analyze data. Power Platform now has more than 10 million monthly active users at more than 500,000 organizations, from IKEA to Toyota, PayPal, for example, is using Power BI within teams to expand access to data insights. More than 1,900 organizations have signed up to use the Return to Workplace solution to help keep employees safe and healthy when they go back to the office. The Los Angeles Unified School District plans to use Power Platform to help keep 700,000 students and educators safe across more than 1,400 schools when they reopen. Now on to Dynamics 365. As organizations look to move from being reactive to proactive, they're choosing Dynamics 365. From AEP and Chipotle to Ingram Micro and Walgreens Boots Alliance, we are seeing strong adoption of our customer data platform, Dynamics 365 Customer Insights. More companies are turning to our mixed reality solutions to keep employees connected with experts even when they're apart. Mercedes-Benz is using Dynamics 365 Remote Assist to help technicians across its U.S. dealership services increase service increasingly complex cars faster. And BHP is using the solution to keep employees at mining sites in rural Australia safe. Just yesterday, we announced a partnership with C3.ai and Adobe to bring to market a new class of industry-specific CRM solutions powered by Dynamics 365. And our first industry-specific cloud, the Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare, will become generally available later this week. It brings together healthcare-specific capabilities from across Dynamics 365, as well as Microsoft 365, Power Platform, and Azure to help providers like Cleveland Clinic and St. Luke's Health Network improve patient outcomes. Now to LinkedIn. Amid a rapidly changing work environment, LinkedIn is where more than 722 million professionals go to connect with their communities, learn new skills, and find new opportunities. We saw record levels of engagement again this quarter. We launched our most significant redesign with a streamlined search and messaging experience, as well as new ways for connecting and sharing with stories. More professionals are turning to LinkedIn Learning to increase their knowledge capital, watching more than a million hours of content each week, more than double the amount a year ago. Three people are hired every minute on LinkedIn, and new features make it easier for nearly 40 million job seekers to indicate they're looking for their next opportunity. In marketing solutions, Advertiser demand on LinkedIn returned to near pre-COVID levels, up 40% year-over-year, as marketeers use our tools to connect with professionals ready to do business. And organizations continue to tap into the combination of LinkedIn Sales Navigator and Dynamics 365 to ensure salespeople have the context they need to sell remotely. Now to Microsoft 365. PCs have become mission critical to sustain work, learning, and life at home and maintain business continuity in the enterprise in a remote everything world. Windows 10 monthly active devices are up double digits year over year across commercial, consumer, and education. 
and we will have the largest lineup of Surface and OEM devices ever this holiday season to support every person in work style. Microsoft 365 is the comprehensive suite of productivity apps and experiences people use and rely on every day. Teams now has more than 115 million daily active users. We are seeing increased usage intensity as people communicate, collaborate, and co-author content across work, life, and learning. All up, Microsoft 365 users generated more than 30 billion collaboration minutes in a single day this quarter. Teams is the only solution with meetings, calls, chat, content collaboration, as well as business process workflow in a secure, integrated user experience. And as companies move online, they also want one unified platform from meetings to phone systems, which Teams delivers. The key to productivity is to move beyond transactional meetings and stay in the flow of work and maintain business process context. That's where Microsoft 365 and Teams stand out. You collaborate on a PowerPoint presentation before a meeting and share it with participants in SharePoint. If you miss a meeting, you can access the recording by our stream and catch up via persistent chat. Action items can automatically be assigned in lists with Power Platform and Teams. You can build custom productivity apps using lists as a data source. And you can even connect Dynamics 365 to Teams so that you can see customer information and take action. It's clear that people will need more flexibility in when, where, and how they work. We're adding reimagined workspaces in teams for every collaborator, remote, in-person, or on the go. And we're accelerating our innovation for both first-line as well as knowledge workers with over 100 new capabilities in the last six months including breakout rooms, meeting recap, shift scheduling, and large-scale digital events up to 20,000 participants to help people transcend both time and distance. Employee health and well-being is a top concern for every CEO. We are innovating with new experiences to help people prioritize well-being in the flow of work. New insights and teams provides personalized recommendation, recommended actions, making it easier for employees to create healthy work habits and for leaders to build high-performing teams. New virtual commute gives structure to remote workday with scheduled cognitive breathers, and together mode is helping employees at companies like Office Depot reduce video fatigue. More broadly, we are accelerating our innovation across Microsoft 365. New Microsoft Stream is the video platform for the enterprise, making it easy to create, share, and discover videos at work. Transcription and voice commands in Word help people save time, and SharePoint syntax makes it easier to find and work with content across the enterprise. We are seeing Microsoft 365 momentum in every industry. In education, nearly 270,000 institutions are using Teams to power remote learning and improve learning outcomes, including the University of Nottingham in the UK, Morehouse College, the University of South Florida, and some of the largest school districts in the United States, like Miami-Dade County Public Schools. In sports, the NBA and NFL are reimagining the game day experience for fans, 
PepsiCo will deploy Microsoft 365 and Teams to its 270,000 employees worldwide. And Morgan Stanley, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and Prudential Financials all chose Microsoft 365 E5 this quarter for differentiated security, compliance, voice, and analytics. Now to security. We're the only company that offers end-to-end capabilities to protect and manage data, devices, identities, and infrastructure holistically, enabling a cross-platform and a multi-cloud zero-trust architecture. H&R Block, for example, used our tools to implement zero-trust principles in just two weeks, enabling thousands of tax professionals to securely work from home. In identity, Azure AD has nearly 400 million monthly active users, and we have seen usage of third-party apps increase 2x since last year. In security, new Microsoft Defender simplifies threat detection and response and now includes coverage for Android and iOS, as well as multi-cloud and on-premise protection for SQL workloads. In device and data management, Microsoft Endpoint Manager monitors an organization's devices in a unified platform, and new tools offer proactive remediation of issues before they disrupt end users. And in compliance, our new compliance manager offers more than 150 out-of-the-box assessments for regulations such as GDPR. Now to gaming. Gaming is the most expansive category in entertainment industry. Three billion consumers look to gaming for entertainment, community, and achievement, and our ambition is to empower each of them wherever they play. Our Xbox Game Pass service has more than 15 million subscribers. Quality differentiated content is the flywheel behind the service's growth, and the addition of EA Play next month along with our pending acquisition of ZeniMax Media, will add more of the world's most iconic franchises to more than 100 high-quality games already available and materially increases our ability to increase content. We're also transforming how games are distributed and played and reaching new players on mobile and tablet by bringing cloud gaming to Game Pass. Finally, we are delighted by early reviews and excitement in the Xbox Series S and Xbox Series X, which will be the most affordable and the most powerful consoles available. In closing, in a world of uncertainty and constraints, every person in every organization needs more digital technology to recover and reimagine what comes next. This represents an unprecedented expansion of our addressable market in every layer of the tech stack. We are focused on innovating and differentiating to meet these needs and growing opportunity. With that, I'll hand over to Amy, who will cover our financial results in detail and share our outlook, and I look forward to rejoining for your questions. Thank you, Satya, and good afternoon, everyone. This quarter, revenue was $37.2 billion, up 12% year-over-year. Gross margin dollars increased 15%, operating income increased 25%, and earnings per share was $1.82, increasing 32% and 30% in constant currency. Consistent execution by our sales teams and partners drove a strong start to the fiscal year. In our commercial business, customers accelerated their digital transformation priorities, and we again 
saw strong demand for our differentiated, high-value, hybrid, and cloud offerings, resulting in increased commitment to our platform and higher usage. Overall, our transactional licensing business remained a headwind, although the small and medium business customer segment improved slightly through the quarter. And our consumer business continued demand for PCs and productivity tools benefited Windows OEM non-pro, Office Consumer, and Surface. An improved advertising market benefited Search and LinkedIn. And we saw continued strong engagement across our gaming platform. Moving to our overall results. On a strong prior year comparable and relatively small expiration base, commercial bookings growth was ahead of expectations, increasing 23% and 18% in constant currency, driven by our core annuity sales motion and an increase in the number of large, long-term Azure contracts. As a result, commercial remaining performance obligation increased 24% and 23% in constant currency to $107 billion. With a roughly equivalent split between the revenue that we recognize within the next 12 months and beyond the next 12 months. Commercial cloud revenue grew 31% to $15.2 billion, and commercial cloud gross margin percentage expanded five points year over year to 71%, driven by the change in accounting estimate for the useful life of server and network equipment assets discussed in our July earnings call. Excluding this impact, commercial cloud gross margin percentage was up slightly, despite revenue mix shift to Azure and increased usage to support our customers' remote work scenarios. This quarter, FX had no impact on revenue growth, more favorable than anticipated due to the weaker U.S. dollar. And in line with expectation, FX had no impact on COGS or operating expense growth. Company gross margin percentage was up two points year over year to 70%, driven by the change in accounting estimate noted earlier. Excluding this impact, company gross margin percentage was down slightly, with increasing cloud revenue mix and continued investment, such as trial offers and flexible financing options, that delivered greater customer value in this challenging environment. Operating expense increased 3%, lower than anticipated, driven by greater than expected COVID-related savings and investments that shifted to future quarters. And operating margins expanded four points year over year to 43%, including roughly two points of favorable impact from the change in accounting estimates. Now to our segment results. Revenue from productivity and business processes was $12.3 billion, increasing 11% ahead of expectations, primarily driven by LinkedIn and Office Consumer. On a strong prior year comparable, Office commercial revenue grew 9% with continued impact from the transactional weakness noted earlier. Office 365 commercial revenue grew 21% and 20% in constant currency, driven by installed-based expansion across all workloads and customer segments, as well as higher ARPU. E5 revenue growth accelerated with strong value in our advanced security, compliance, and voice component. Paid Office 365 commercial seats increased 15% year-over-year with early momentum in free trial conversions. And we saw continued seat growth in small and medium business and first-line worker offerings with improvement through the quarter, though, again, at more moderated levels. Office 365 commercial now accounts for over 70% of our existing Office commercial paid install base. Office consumer revenue grew 13% 
with better-than-expected sales of Office 2019 and accelerating growth in Microsoft 365 subscriptions of 27% year-over-year to $45.3 million. Dynamics revenue grew 19% and 18% in constant currency, better than expected. Driven by Dynamics 365 revenue growth of 38% and 37% in constant currency. Growth in the number of customers adopting multiple Dynamics 365 workloads accelerated, reflecting the value of our modern solutions with compelling time to value. LinkedIn revenue increased 16%, significantly ahead of expectations, primarily driven by a stronger advertising market that benefited our marketing solutions business. Segment gross margin dollars increased 13% and 12% in constant currency, and gross margin percentage increased one point a year over year, including roughly two points of favorable impact from the change in accounting estimate, partially offset by sales mix to cloud. Operating expense increased 4% and operating income increased 19% year-over-year, including six points due to the change in accounting estimate. Next, the intelligent cloud segment. Revenue was $13 billion, increasing 20% and 19% in constant currency, slightly ahead of expectations. On a significant base, server products and cloud services revenue increased 22% and 21% in constant currency. Azure revenue grew 48% and 47% in constant currency, driven by consistent, strong growth in our consumption-based business. This quarter, we saw better-than-expected growth in our per-user enterprise mobility business as the installed base increased 27% to 152 million seats. And our on-premises server business decreased 1%, with impact from continued transactional weakness and a strong prior year comparable that benefited from the end of support for Windows Server and SQL Server 2008. Enterprise services revenue grew 6% and 5% in constant currency, again driven by premier support services. Segment gross margin dollars increased 26% and 25% in constant currency, and gross margin percentage increased three points year over year, with nearly four points of favorable impact from the change in accounting estimate. Operating expense increased 10%, and operating income increased 39% and 38% in constant currency, with roughly 13 points of favorable impact from the change in accounting estimate. Now to more personal computing. Revenue was $11.8 billion, increasing 6%, with better than expected performance in Windows OEM non-pro, Surface, and Search. In Windows, overall OEM revenue declined 5%, better than expected. OEM non-pro revenue grew 31%, benefiting from demand for larger screens for productivity. And OEM pro revenue declined 22%, impacted by lower commercial de demand across all customer segments and a prior year comparable that benefited from the end of support for Windows 7. Inventory levels ended the quarter in the normal range. Windows commercial products and cloud services revenue grew 13% and 12% in constant currency, slightly below expectations as continued demand for Microsoft 365 and our advanced security solutions was partially offset by a lower mix of multi-year agreements that carry higher in-quarter revenue recognition, as well as continued transactional weakness. In Surface, revenue grew 37% and 36% in constant currency, driven by year-over-year -year differences in product launch timing and channel purchasing 
as well as overall PC market demand. Search revenue ex-tax declined 10% and 11% in cost and currency. And in gaming, revenue increased 22% and 21% in constant currency, driven by continued strong engagement and monetization across the platform, though at a slightly lower rate than last quarter. Xbox content and services revenue increased 30% with strong growth in third-party transactions, Game Pass subscribers, and first-party titles. Segment gross margin dollars increased 8%, and gross margin increased one point year-over-year, as improvements, primarily within gaming and Surface, were mostly offset by a lower mix of Windows revenue. Operating expense decreased 8%, and operating income grew 18% year-over-year. Now back to total company results. Capital expenditures, including finance leases, were $5.5 billion, up 15% year-over-year, to support growing customer usage and demand for our cloud services. Cash paid for PP&E was $4.9 billion. On a low prior year comparable that included tax payments related to the transfer of intangible property, cash flow from operations was $19.3 billion, up 40% year over year, and free cash flow was $14.4 billion, up 38%. Excluding the impact of these tax payments, Cash flow from operations grew 12% as healthy cloud billings and collections were partially offset by higher supplier payments related to the Xbox hardware inventory build. And free cash flow grew 3%, reflecting a significant increase in cash payments for PP&E. Other income and expense was $248 million, higher than anticipated, driven by net gains on foreign currency remeasurement and investments including mark-to-market gains on our equity portfolio. Our effective tax rate was 14%, with a greater-than-expected impact from equity vests in the quarter. And finally, we returned $9.5 billion to shareholders through share repurchases and dividends, an increase of 21% year-over-year. Now, let's move to our outlook. In our commercial business, expanding addressable markets, differentiated value, and consistent execution to drive another quarter of increased usage and growing commitment to our platform that drive commercial bookings. However, a declining expiry base will impact the growth. As always, large long-term Azure contracts are more unpredictable in their timing, an increasing mix of these long-term agreements drives more quarterly volatility in bookings. And though trends have improved a bit, growth will continue to be impacted by transactional weakness. A strong prior year comparable that included the end of support for Windows 7 and Windows Server 2008, as well as transactional strength in Japan across our office businesses, will also impact growth rates. In our consumer business, we expect some benefit from continued consumer PC market growth, though at a more moderated growth rate than last quarter, given the traditionally high volume of PCs sold every Q2. Commercial cloud gross margin percentage will increase approximately three points year over year, again driven by the change in accounting estimate noted earlier. Excluding this impact, continued improvement in Azure IaaS and past gross margin will be offset by mixed shift to Azure. And on a dollar basis, we expect capital expenditures to be roughly in line with last quarter to support growing usage and demand for our cloud services. Now to FX. Based on current rates, we expect FX to increase total company revenue and operating expense growth by approximately one point and have no impact on COGS growth. Within the segments, 
SX should increase productivity and business processes and intelligent cloud revenue growth by approximately one point and have no impact on more personal computing revenue growth. Next, to segment guidance. In productivity and business processes, we expect revenue between $12.75 and $13 billion. In office commercial, revenue growth will again be driven by Office 365, with continued upsell opportunity to E5. However, growth will be impacted by the strong prior year comparable noted earlier, as well as a decline of approximately 30% in our on-premises business, driven by continued transactional weakness and the ongoing customer shift to Office 365. In office consumer, we expect revenue to grow in the mid-single digits down sequentially as continued growth in Microsoft 365 subscription revenue will be impacted by the strong year prior year comparable and the seasonality of the PC market noted earlier. In LinkedIn, we expect the improved advertising market and continued strong engagement on the platform to drive revenue growth similar to last quarter. And in Dynamics, continued Dynamics 365 momentum will drive revenue growth so it's slightly lower rate than last quarter in line with the historic seasonality in that business. For Intelligent Cloud, we expect revenue between $13.55 and $13.8 billion. In Azure, revenue growth will be driven by our consumption-based business with continued strong growth on a significant base. And in our per-user business, we expect growth rates to moderate further given the size of the enterprise mobility installed base in our on-premises server business, we expect revenue to decline low single digits as demand for our hybrid and premium offerings will be offset by continued transactional weakness and the impact from the prior year comparable noted earlier. And in enterprise services, we expect revenue to be up low single digits. In more personal computing, we expect revenue between $13.2 and $13.6 billion. In Windows, on the strong prior year comparable, Overall revenue should decline in the high single-digit range. In our OEM business, we expect another strong quarter in OEM non-pro, but OEM pro will again be impacted by the lower commercial demand. In Windows commercial products and cloud services, we expect healthy annuity billings growth driven by the continued demand for our advanced security solutions. However, Growth will be materially impacted by a lower mix of multi-year agreements that carry higher in-quarter revenue recognition, primarily due to the declining expiry base and a large deal in the prior year. In surface, revenue will be relatively unchanged, impacted by the year-over-year timing differences of product lifecycle transitions noted earlier. In search XTAC, we expect revenue to decline in the mid to high single-digit range. And in gaming, we expect revenue growth in the high 20% range. We expect very strong demand following the launch of our next-generation Xbox Series X and S consoles, driving supply-constrained hardware revenue growth of approximately 40%. We also expect ne- negative gross margin impact from console sales this quarter as we invest against the growing lifetime value of the platform. Xbox content and services revenue should grow in the low 20% range with strong engagement and continued momentum in Game Pass subscribers. As a reminder, our outlook does not include Zenimax, which we still expect to close in the second half of the fiscal year. Now back to company guidance. We expect COGS of $13.75 to $13.95 billion 
an operating expense of $11.4 to $11.5 billion. And other income and expense, interest income and expense should offset each other. And finally, we expect our Q2 tax rate to be approximately 16%. In closing, I'd like to share a few thoughts as we look beyond the next quarter. As digital transformation accelerates, and our sales teams and partners continue to execute well in serving customers. Our high-value solutions should drive full-year double-digit revenue growth in our commercial segments, even in a challenging and competitive environment. Given our significant ambition, desire to enable our customers' visions for their future, and the opportunity that creates, we will continue to invest in high-growth markets and the strategic areas that will further enhance our position. With that, Mike, let's go to Q&A. Thanks, Amy. We'll now move over to Q&A. Out of respect to others on the call, we request that participants please only ask one question. Operator, can you please repeat your instructions? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. The confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your hands up before pressing the star keys. Our first question comes from Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Excellent. Thank you for taking the question, and very nice quarter. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Intelligent Cloud and the trends that you're seeing there. Uh, we're picking up in stuff like our CIO surveys, a really strong indications from CIOs that they want to move more aggressively to the public cloud. We're seeing that in good results from Azure. How should we think about the on-premise server and tools business on a going-forward basis? Is this increased preference for public cloud going to more permanently impair server and cloud, I'm sorry, server and tools growth in the on-premise environment, or is there a potential for this to be coming back to the load and mid single digit growth that we've seen historically once we pass these tough comps? Uh, let me start, and uh, Keith, uh, thanks for the question, and Amy, you can add to it. A uh, couple of things, um, Keith. One is the approach we've always take, taken is that distributed computing will remain distributed, so the cloud and the edge uh, is what uh, will be the distributed fabric for applications. So if you look at uh, where our growth is coming from for the all-up number in intelligent cloud, it's coming from the infrastructure layer, the flexibility that we have uh, around hybrid uh, deployment, things like Azure Arc are very differentiated. Same thing with data. Uh, that's one of the big feature innovations uh, even in the last quarter was the ability to deploy, for example, Azure data in any cloud, including the edge. Uh, so that deployment drives uh, application preference uh, for our infrastructure. The, sec the two other things that are happening is developers, whether it's lift, shift, modernized motion, or just new applications because of what they're doing on GitHub or Azure DevOps or VS Code, choosing Azure services, uh, and with Power Platform Dynamics or M365 because a lot of these logic apps that people build are about stitching together extensions of workflows of multiple SaaS apps. So we have uh, all three of these trends leading to more intense usage of infrastructure data and the application path services. And so that's how we view it. Uh, I don't sort of look at each quarter what's happening on server plus cloud. I look at the holistic deployment options that our customers need 
for their increasingly distributed applications. And so that's sort of what I see. And any, if you want to add to it, please go ahead. Sure. And Keith, maybe I can help a little bit. Um, in general, I think it's easier um, if you think about Azure plus the annuity business as being this durable, hybrid, um, edge, cloud value that Satya is talking about. Uh, and we continue to see very strong and consistent performance. Uh, across those things in terms of renewal rates, the strength of premium, the strength of hybrid value prop. And so um, that aspect, Keith, because of the reasons Dr. mentioned, we don't see nearly as much change in that. It's, pr- it's frankly why you see bookings numbers that are very good. It's why you see RPO, both less than 12 months. Think about that as our core annuity motion versus longer than 12 months, which are these Azure longer contracts all having very healthy growth. So then what you're left with is a small component um, of the business, which is that non-annuity slash what we call transactional business, which is one-time purchases all recognized in quarter. And because of that, um, it does move around a lot more. And it helped, obviously, when we had end of support and we were transparent about that. And then it hurts more both in this macro environment, but more so just because of some tough comparables. And so while we will continue to have that through a few quarters and we'll expect it to bounce around a bit because of the nature of 100% in-quarter recognition, the fundamentals of bookings, renewals, premium, and hybrid value, as well as Azure consumption, um, feel uh, far more consistent than not uh, is how I would, would answer that. Excellent. That's super helpful. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Keith. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Heather Bellini with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thank you so much for taking the question. Um, Amy, I, I had a question. You just made some really strong, robust growth comments on the top line as, as you look out into the future, but you also invested, you know, rightly so, your desire to invest for your customers um, in key growth areas. I think one one of the questions people might be wondering is, how do we think about how that might impact operating margin trajectory? Um, and, and should we interpret your comments that obviously growth remains really st- strong and we're investing for growth, but there's an eye on profitability as well? Like, h- how would you like those comments interpreted a little bit more deeply? That, thank you so much. Thanks, Heather. Um, if you take a, a step back, the comments are really about the consistency and the opportunity in front of us. And so in our commercial segments where we're seeing um, consistent annuity execution, we're seeing increasing usage, we're seeing good deployment, and frankly, uh, the portfolio that Satya went through in his comments, if you go section by section, it's talking about amazing, like, TCO advantages um, that the portfolio offers, uh, even for our commercial customers who are looking for ways to accelerate but control costs. And so for us, um, when you see operating uh, environments like that, where you see the opportunity, you feel good about your portfolio, you can feel, and we basically feel good about our complete stack, but at a high value, what we want to make sure we do, uh, and my comments uh, were around this, um, are really about making it clear that we intend to continue to go after uh, the opportunity we see. And so, of course, uh, we're always thoughtful about how 
uh, we invest. But in these areas where we see such strong signal, uh, I do expect us to continue to focus. And at the operating margins, uh, a real focus will also just be as we enter um, the second half of the year. Uh, it's obviously impacted by um, some of the hardware uh, investments that we're making, uh, as well as um, the overall Windows numbers. So that's the, probably the best Great. thing Thank about that. Thank you so much. And Heather, um, congratulations. We'll miss having you uh, on the call after seven years. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Heather. Operator, we'll move to the next question, please. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Mordler with Bernstein Research. Please proceed with your question. Thank you very much for taking the question, and congratulations on, on a really nice, clean quarter. Um, given the flare-ups in COVID in certain re geographies and continuing lockdowns, do you think there's increasing pressure on overall spending? Does it impact SaaS adoption going forward? And, and adding to that, how do you see your supply chain for the cloud components? Are you going to be able to meet all the demands? Thanks. So maybe I'll start and maybe you can add to it. I mean, overall, what we have learned over whatever the last nine months or so um, is the best way for any business uh, to ensure both resilience uh, as well as pivot and transform and reimagine how to work with some of the constraints is digital tech. So. Uh, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's data or on SaaS, uh, it's in fact uh, increased adoption uh, rate. And that's what you see, like where you see it in power apps. Uh, for example, in many cases, even the smallest of businesses need to be able to deploy a solution quickly for some workflow that allows them, say, for example, to do curbside pickup if you're a retailer in a small business. Uh, but they were able to build that easily and deploy it. So that's what we are seeing, which is increasing adoption and use. Um, and on the supply chain side, uh, we have worked through. We did get, when we had the initial rush, uh, we did have uh, demand uh, uh, surges uh, that needed us to sort of work through on our supply chain. We feel very good right now on how the supply is working to support the demand. Amy? Nothing to add, Satya. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Congrats. Thanks, Mark. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. The next question comes from Phil Winslow with Wells Fargo. Please proceed with your question. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question. Congrats on another great quarter. I just wanted to focus in on the Office 365 commercial. And, Amy, uh, thank you for that update that you're now 70% penetrated. And if I go back to the uh, financial analyst briefing back in 2017, that was 50%. So I guess two questions. One is that, you know, can you help us sort of unpack just the install-based growth? Obviously, with those two percentages and the numbers you give, that's pretty healthy install-based growth. And then as a follow-up to that, one of the things you mentioned, too, is obviously the continued migration to e E5. Sort of what inning are we in for sort of the E3 to E5 motion, and how important is voice, which is one of the things you mentioned in the E5, just to, uh, to, to Office 365 going forward? Um, um, Amy, go ahead. Um, let me break down your question, Sarah, because I want to make sure that the comment on 70% is really thought about in the right way. Um, it's 70% of the current install base, and so yep. one of the key Components of that is we have, as you said, continued to see install-based growth, and whether that's adding um, first-line worker scenarios, whether it's increasing in small business, 
um, there's so many ways for us to continue uh, to add tremendous value, continue to grow the install base. But we are pleased um, that we have um, 70 percent. Uh, on more modern experiences, obviously, of Office 365 in terms of adding to productivity and being able uh, to continue to offer, uh, to your point, some of this motion on E3 and E5. Um, to that question, there's actually room, Phil, on, on both of those motions. We've got room to continue um, to have people move to E3. We've got room to continue, obviously, and it's not just voice, although that is an important component. Um, the really exciting value in E5 is that it offers security value. It offers compliance value. It offers voice, uh, there's analytics value. And so the reality is all of them are becoming more meaningful, especially in timed value and TCO. The one thing also that I sometimes think gets missed when we talk about Office 365 is one of the other key motions um, that's important around this group and business is the ability for us to continue to add um, the Microsoft 365 components, um, whether that's EMS or Windows security value. And so um, while we're excited about the install base and the progress, it also uh, creates a good opportunity for us to continue uh, to move people to the Microsoft 365 SKU and not just uh, up through the SKUs of Office. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Phil. Uh, operator, we'll take the next question, please. Our next question comes from Carl Kierstead with UBS. Please proceed with your question. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, Amy, I wanted to ask you a question, uh, given the comment you made about um, bookings volatility. I wanted to ask about some of the Azure trends in particular that uh, we can't see, uh, such as the level of Azure migration activity that might still be in the planning phase, uh, or if deals have been signed, how you feel about the Azure backlog that will convert to revenues over the next year or so, and whether some of the Azure go-lives have been pushed by a quarter or two, uh, given the uncertain environment. That kind of color might serve as a nice complement to the, the solid 47% uh, reported Azure number you gave. Uh, thank you. Go ahead, Amy. Um you know, Carl, it's a good question. Maybe let me break down some of the some of the components. Um, when you think about uh, Azure and some of these longer term sort of deals I was discussing, uh, the longer term bigger uh, deals. When I talk about them being more volatile, it's just it's more that we don't um, really focus on the exact moment in time that, that they get done. Uh, they tend to be partnerships. Uh, that we're really working through. Uh, they take longer for planning. And so these types of partnerships, uh, it's really about um, making sure we make them successful far more than which quarter um, that they arrive in. And so that does just result in a little bit more volatility in that in that booking number. Now, in so I, I would separate that from the question you're asking, which I think is great around how much of that creates exists today in our uh, good annuity performance on-prem. So for us, that is about investing in customer success. And so for us, that's been one of the important investments we've made over the past couple of years and why we continue to invest in everything from skilling uh, at our customers 
uh, up through training, up through deployment, and really make sure that each um, project is successful and has good value. And so when you think about that, um, think about the annuity on-prem business as well as these longer-term Azure contracts as being effectively a, a book of business to continue to work and convert um, into, as you're talking about this, consumption. Now, within a quarter, um, the consumption obviously has other impacts. You know, most of it obviously is um, – you know, it's used and it's recognized in quarter. You'll see that number, as you know, jump around a little bit from quarter to quarter. Uh, some of that is the per user that we've talked about. Things like EMS can have a little bit more in-quarter recognition. Uh, they can be impacted by an X-free base. Um, and so you'll see that number, um, the Azure KPI, jump around a little bit more than just from consumption. And you can have things like uh, overages land on an annual basis as opposed uh, to maybe a monthly basis, and that can also make the number jump around a little bit. So while the funnel and the conversion is absolutely how we think about seeing strong bookings and a strong, especially longer than 12-month RPO balance, um, we certainly also uh, sort of work that meticulously at the customer level to get projects to success. Just one thing I'd add is to Amy's uh, earlier comment about our customer success motion. When we look at the app portfolio uh, for any customer, we look to see, first of all, which apps do they want to just retire, which apps do they want to modernize and move to the cloud or new cloud starts. Uh, and then we use all of what is there on our stack to help them, right? So it could be a power app that gets built, which is more part of Micro- Office 365 or Microsoft 365, uh, it could be a SaaS application that is in Dynamics module that's better for them uh, because that's a faster time to value. Uh, and then, uh, and sometimes you uh, build in Azure. So we look at it holistically across all of the tech stack uh, versus any one thing because that's what we think both differentiates uh, Microsoft and creates preference for Microsoft long term. So that's how we approach it. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Carl. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. Our next question comes from Brent Bill with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Good afternoon, uh, Satya. Good to see the team's number uh, double on the MAUs in a pretty short duration. Maybe you can just walk us through your next chapter of of the team story and uh, where you see the biggest opportunity and uh, what other uh, components you're seeing attached uh, to the team's rollout. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much for the question. Now, Teams is very exciting to us because uh, unlike anything else that we have done as an, at the application layer, uh, it's literally like a shell uh, and a, has a platform effect because it is meetings, it's chat, it's collaboration, uh, as well as business process applications uh, integrate into Teams. So that scaffolding richness uh, literally makes it a very robust platform. And uh, so we're seeing significant growth. You saw, so we talked about the usage growth, but we're also seeing significant growth of usage across all these modalities inside of Teams. Uh, but the other aspect, which I referenced in my remarks, is when you look at Microsoft 365 All Up, uh, Teams is bolstering all-up growth, right? Because meetings are important, uh, but they're transactional. Work happens before meetings, during meetings, and after meetings. So that ability to have 
the workflow completely stitched together is where Microsoft 365 really stands out. Uh, so that reinforcing effect of Teams by itself uh, and then Microsoft 365 in conjunction with Teams is where you'll see a significant amount of usage growth, more so than individual tools of the past even. All right, so maybe we go Thanks, to the next yeah, question. Thanks, Brent. Operator, we'll take the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Keith Bachman with BMO. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thank you very much, Satya and Amy. I wondered if, if you could speak to the growth of Windows within MPC, in particular as we move past the tough compares, how would you characterize the growth potential of Windows and, and what would you envision are the key drivers and perhaps even uh, the key risk associated with that, with those comments on what you envision the durable growth is on Windows? Thank you very much. So maybe I can start, uh, Amy, and then you can add to it. Um, you know, if anything, uh, again, the last uh, nine months or so have proven that uh, when it comes to Windows and PCs, uh, they become mission critical uh, because when it comes to remote learning, remote work, um, or and any type of activity uh, and productivity in particular depends on having PCs uh, and applications on PCs. Uh, so we are doubling down on it. Uh, that means the innovation in Windows and Microsoft 365 is the best way to conceptualize uh, how we even think about Windows because it's one surface area where uh, we want to deliver our best payloads for productivity, communications, collaboration, business process. Uh, and we'll keep working even on the form function innovation as well. So even if you look at the holiday lineup of uh, devices, it's great to see that large screens, small screens, mobile, uh, you know, different different chip architectures uh, that make it pretty attractive to have a Windows device with you all, always. Uh, so that's how we look at it. It's very important. I think if anything, even mobile only countries and mobile only scenarios are recognizing that they also can do with some help with uh, additional screens. And uh, so that's something that uh, we look forward to. And I do think um, one of the ways to think in particular about uh, commercial demand for Windows, to Sophia's point, is it, um, while it can have and tends to have around end of support, some um, raised demand on the front, then you have a year of tough comparables, as we say, then it tends to uh, generally stabilize um, and be quite consistent. Uh, and I think, um, as we've seen in the past nine months, I think um, the high and mission-critical value of a PC in the commercial environment, uh, whether you're doing that uh, from a remote situation or inside uh, the walls of an office, um, I think we feel very good about the value that we're offering. Thanks, Keith. Operator, we'll take the last question now, please. Thank you. Our final question comes from Brent Brayson with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'll squeeze in two if I could. Um, wanted to follow up on Azure. Uh, this is a segment that's grown now to 17% of revenue. I think that's up from 4% just three years ago. Uh, you talked about the number of petabyte scale applications doubling. And from a size standpoint, it looks like in my model, Azure is bigger than the Windows business for the first time ever. My question really is around where are we at in the journey around Azure? How important is this to the Microsoft model? And, and ultimately, how big could it be looking out over the next three to five years? Um, 
let me uh, start, maybe you can add to it. Um, the way I, I, I think about the uh, computing landscape going forward is if you sort of said uh, at the highest levels today as a percentage of GDP, tech spend is 5%, um, we think it'll double in the next 10 years. And if anything, this pandemic perhaps has accelerated that doubling. And in that context, what's the large, you know, the most uh, secular need? It's the need for distributed cloud infrastructure. Uh, it's both needed for modernizing existing uh, in, uh, applications you have. And so that's why, by the way, what, 20% penetrated? So there's more 80% that needs to move. But more importantly, there's going to be new application starts, which need infrastructure. Um, and so if you sort of add those up, I think that uh, we're still in early innings. There will be uh, between quarters, volatility, all of the points that Amy made even earlier, uh, but we think distributed cloud infrastructure is the most important layer. But the way we have approached it is not to just think of that layer in isolation, but the data layer work we do composes, the AI layer composes, and more importantly, our SaaS applications, whether business applications, Power Platform, Microsoft 365, all reinforce that same modern tech stack. Uh, so I would still say that uh, digitization in its, with this new tech stack is in its very early infancy. And Brent, I think the, the last point Satya made is maybe the most, most important is that uh, when we think about and talk about expanding addressable markets or seeing um, more opportunity than we maybe even saw just a few quarters ago, it's at every layer. When people say that they have constraints, when you need a better time to value, when you need to reinvent each and almost every business process uh, in a fast and effective manner, having every layer of the stack enabled by the infra layer, the data layer, and the AI layer, I, I do think it's frankly early innings, even in places where people think um, – you know, it seems to be nearer the end. And so uh, I think we feel a lot of optimism uh, in that respect. Certainly feel like a, an important milestone with Azure being larger than Windows for the first time. I guess the last question for me is really on AI. Um, and, and I know everyone's talked about this acceleration in, in digital adoption about across consumer and enterprise, but it, it almost feels like the acceleration in AI is actually happening faster. I'd be curious to hear kind of the plans for GPT-3 uh, license and, and how you plan to democratize that across the platform space. Yeah, it's a great observation because there are two sort of things that we're seeing. is AI is actually being used by both professional developers, people who want these large-scale transformer models or, you know, to even do zero-shot learning. So we're seeing significant increases in cog services usage across the board. Uh, but which, by the way, comes with the use of other compute services and data services in Azure. But the other interesting thing is what I would call the domain experts uh, who are using Power Apps, being able to tap into uh, AI and these cog services to build these workflows assisted with AI. Uh, and that's where a lot of productivity gains for a lot of businesses and business process workflows is happening. So it's exciting to see that. Uh, as well as AI that's incorporated. I mean, every team session is full of AI because of the transcription services, uh, the speech recognition services, and so on that uh, it incorporates. And same thing with Dynamics as well. Thanks, Brent. 
That wraps up the Q&A portion of today's earnings call. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to speaking with all of you soon. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's teleconference. We thank you for your participation, and you may disconnect your lines at this time.